Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I am Haney. We're Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 205, recorded on August the 30th, 2022. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. So today is a bit of a, a chaotic day because <laughs> Simon is trying to figure out how to staff uh, to stuff more than 24 hours in a day, like he usually does, but now he's trying to get things in order before um, AVD TechFest. And mm-hmm. Haney is is trying to figure out what, what this whole idea of vacation really means. I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone run so fast in order to get to vacation. So... <laughs> I mean, t- tell me I'm wrong. You're not wrong. I I am just finishing my project before I go for vacation. So that is kind of pulling me in all directions. And yeah, then just trying to pack and rewriting my session for the weekend and just small things like that in the mix. Small things. Yes. Just, just, just wait until she does big things. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> there have been some some fairly big news, uh, actually, in the Power BI world, and I'm going to jump straight into it. So one of the things that we've been talking about, essentially, from the days of content packs, content packs in, in Power BI was the precursor to the apps that we have today. And the content packs uh, essentially is a way to package um, dashboards and reports and data sets into some kind of artifact that you can then bring to your audience. Along came apps, and apps are backed by workspaces where you essentially do your, well, as it sounds, your work, and when you're done, you package the whole shebang into an app and give that to your audience, and then you can go back to work on the next version of the app, if you will. And we've had uh, several improvements over the years, for instance, the the, development pipeline that gives you sort of kind of a DevOpsy um, uh, capability, if you will. The one thing that we've asked for so long, and we have not gotten until now, is the ability to have one workspace produce multiple apps. This has been kind of the, the, the holy grail that turned into the perpetual meme that this is something that everybody wants, but we're never going to get it. Well, we got it, sort of. And they solved it in a way that I would not have thought. So we still have the idea of a workspace and an app, but the app can now have 10 different personas, if you will. And these are are called, um, I just lost the words, multiple audiences. So we still may have an HR app, but we can have an app with different bits and pieces showing for different people. So Simon, you may have access to all the the 10 reports in the app, but Haney, you're only allowed to see a subset of them, like two reports. It's still one app per se, but we can have multiple perspectives on the app. Is that a perfect solution? 
I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect solution, but it opens up so many more opportunities because previously, if I wanted to have two perspectives, if you will, I needed to do two complete workspaces. And that means a pain in the posterior because you need to copy all the, uh, the stuff between them. You need to sync what you can't, so you need to do it uh, manually, all the privileges, all those things. And now you can have it from one pane of glass, essentially. So this is a public preview. It just came out. Um, it pretty much turned the entire Power BI internet on its head. So everybody's really, really excited. Do you control this with Azure AD groups and accounts? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That is a good question. And, and yes, that's exactly how you do it. It is deeply connected to Azure AD. Now I see some real interesting use cases with identity governance here as well. If you then add it to Teams, add, remove people from them. Mm, so again, sure. this just adds on to our pre-con or whatever we'll be doing on security for the Data Pro. Oh, the Unicron yeah. pre-con, the, the, the one that we've been <laughs> talking about since time immemorial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. I, I agree. It, it opens yeah. up so many new ideas. And I think we've only, one of the things that I, I've, I've talked about PMs with is that it, the PMs, they have this clear view of what an, an application or, or a new feature is going to do. Unfortunately, that is just a slight part of what people really do with them. Mm -hmm. uh, take bookmarks, for instance. People did the weirdest, most amazing things with bookmarks that the PMs had never in their life thought would be doable. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be the same with this. And again, this is in preview, so use it with a bit of caution. Uh, but it is really, really exciting to see where they're going from from here. Um, when it comes to exciting stuff, SQL Server 2022 is out as an RC zero. It's still a re release candidate zero. Um, I.e., um, be careful. Um, but it's it's out. Um. And yes, it's SQL Server 2022 on-prem. You should all see Simon's face. He looks a bit confused. It's what more RC0. Uh, well, it, it's it's better than a beta. <laughs> <laughs> so but, actually, it's but, a beta, like, but R it just prays differently. <laughs> well, RC1 is going to come out after RC0. But have there ever been an RC0 before this one? I don't know, but it's here now. It's like, so this is between beta and RC1, or what? Uh -huh. like, Stop whining, <laughs> just download it. <laughs> so it's, uh, I could talk for an entire episode about 2022. There are some exceedingly clever things being done to the optimizer, like things that literally hurt my brain and will instantly relieve a lot of the issues that plague uh, most of the, the SQL Server installations out there. It's, it's not perfect, of course, but it's a huge step, much bigger than it might seem on the box. It doesn't look like 2022 is that big of a change since 2019, but it is. So it's, it's out, um, RC0, um, and Simon is dying to download RC0, I can see that. Uh, how many times did you uh, uh, write uh, DP300 again? Me. Uh, yes. Three times. Three times. Okay. Just Four. Checking. 
two, depending on if you count the first one as the zero time. Oh, yeah. That's a good That's question. True. That is a very mm -hmm. good question. <laughs> I will Another... now start on zero when I count. You should. You should. Another thing that just came out with a new number, and this is not going to be number zero, this is going to be number three. That's DAX Studio version three. It has been released. Um, um, people, people say, well, well, the big thing here is dark mode. And yes, that's one <laughs> part of it. But it's a whole revamped UI. Uh, it's still an amazing tool. It's still completely free. And it has a better UI in my view. Uh, I'm, I'm dying to really poke around with it. So in essence, for Power BI, you have two main applications, helper applications. You have DAX Studio and you have um, Tabular Editor. Th those are considered enterprise uh, tools that you need in order to do an enterprise uh, environment with, with Power BI. So th those are the things um, on my mind. I have one more blog post that I'm going to talk about in a bit. Uh, but let's let's go through um, your side of the fence as well. So let's start with Simon. What have you what have you done? Now I, I lost it. <laughs> Never mind. I was just thinking about that. I will be going to the US soon without Tony. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that and that is hard. Mm. Um, but something that seems to be very hard for a lot of organizations and that I've continued to hate for a couple of years now is ADFS, so Federation Services. And first and foremost, there are some really good reasons to use ADFS for federating apps and identities. But you shouldn't do it for Azure AD. And you should try to do something other than ADFS because it's a not good solution. And now we have yet another very uh, dangerous uh, malware that hijacks ADFS servers. And this malware is... Uh, according to Microsoft, part of uh, Russian-backed hacker groups. So what it does is if you get access to the ADFS, ADFS server, the attacker will replace a DLL file, and then they will basically be in control of all the authentications for the accounts that reside on that server or authenticates to that server. That's a bad thing, right? It's a bad thing. And a lot of organizations are still not really knowing what ADFS enables an attacker to do. Uh, it's there because a lot of organizations set up ADFS in the beginning of Azure AD, and they are first not making it highly available, they're not taking care of it, they're not monitoring it, and it's a huge security risk. So if you, have, if you aren't very sure of why you need ADFS, because there are a lot of other technologies that can do the same thing, please get rid of it because it's now also actively exploited by Russian very advanced hacker groups. So get rid of ADFS, more vulnerabilities out now, find other ways. The only good thing about this news item is that the tool is called Magic Web, which I kind of like. Why? <laughs> uh, it's, it started off as Foggy Web. So I guess this one is better. Or more shiny. All right, all right. Yeah. We we can talk about this naming of APT groups and all of that, like bears, pandas, whatever their name is. So we'll move away from the cyber security things. One of the other reasons why people kept ADFS were that you needed ADFS up until now 
to get real single sign-on into Azure Virtual Desktop. Now, you don't need to have that. This is probably the most evaded feature for AVD ever. And now, again, you don't have to have ADFS to get single sign-on to it. This is currently in public preview and you need Insider release 20, uh, Windows 11 21H2, I think it is. Uh, to make this work, but they will Wait, make are, it are available. You, are you actually saying that there is a reason to run Windows 11? I won't comment that. <laughs> Hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> no, uh, there are reasons. This is a good reason. But try this, especially if you have waited to have passwordless authentication, a much better user experience, a silent sign-in as well. Uh, this has been something that I think this was the first feedback item I gave to the product group. And it's now many, many years ago. And it's fantastic that they have finally been able to solve this. So well done, product team. And I can't wait to try this out. When you say silent sign-on, I just got a flash in my head to Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> to, to the not-so-silent version. Bring out your date! <laughs> that, that's how we log in now. Like, mm -hmm. silent sign-on is much better. Uh, the last news item I have to share today is that we have something called guided hunting in Microsoft 365 Defender. Up until now, when you did advanced hunting within Defender or, for the matter, Azure Sentinel, you had to know at least a bit of KQL to do the queries and do all of that. Now, with guided hunting, it's basically a filter that will be dynamic based on what you're searching for. So you don't have to know KQL to do some basic hunting. You, of course, need to do it if you want to do more custom things, uh, things like that. But I think this is yet another way which enables people to leverage the advanced security tools that Microsoft 365 Defender is uh, without necessarily needing to learn KQL which I still encourage everyone to do because you can use that for other things as well. But I think that ease of use is a very, very nice addition uh, that really shows that they are Microsoft is not just committed to the real hardcore security professionals. It's also for organizations of all sizes and skill levels. Haney, what's going on yeah. on your side? Well, there's networking things as usual. Yay! <laughs> They are starting to get excited, finally. It has been a long <laughs> road. <laughs> so um, we've had private endpoints around for a while, and we've talked about the capability of using NSGs, so network security groups and user-defined routes, uh, with these private endpoints earlier, that these has, have been in private preview and so forth. But now they are coming to general availability, so you can actually use them for your real-life projects and not just proof of Yay. concepts and such. So now you can actually, you know, limit where can you access these private endpoints, for example, with NSGs and not just, well, anything that connects to your virtual network can connect. And of course, we would prefer a little more granularity to that. <laughs> Are you never say. pleased? No, never. No, <laughs> no, no, she's never, no. 
Then the other area where there has been uh, actually networking improvements is the Microsoft Azure Load Testing Service. Uh, so there is now you are able to inject this service into a virtual network. And that means that you are then able to, for example, uh, do load testing on your services that are secured within a virtual network because previously you needed to have a public endpoint. And so, for example, if you have your testing environment, for example, secured within a private network because you don't want that to be in the public internet when you're testing new features, uh, then you could actually do load testing with the Azure Load Testing Service, which I think is a very needed capability. And this doesn't actually allow you to just test uh, private endpoints, but any public endpoint that might have some access restrictions, like IP whitelisting in place, or even if you have an on-premise service that is you are connected to from Azure, then you can also test that. So that is pretty neat. So it's not just private endpoints, but any service that is in your private network. And the, then the last item on my list is I came across this Azure Synapse proof of concept playbook that it has been around, I think, for a little bit already, uh, but I actually didn't come across this earlier. And now Alexander is going to say, I talked about this last time. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Not no. per se, but I've I've, yeah. I've alluded to it. Yeah, yeah. But now specifically, uh, there is this playbook available for getting started on proof of concepts. And I was looking through it and it actually looks pretty good. Of course, it is for proof of concepts. So it doesn't take into consideration, for example, networking things to a such a uh, deep extent that you would need to consider in production scenarios and all the other security features as well. But there is kind of three main scenarios that you can get started with with this guide. So data warehousing, data lake exploration, big data analytics, and you have kind of guidance of how should you start the planning, what do you need to determine, etc. So I think it's a pretty good, good starting point for anything that you want to do with Azure Synapse Analytics. Do you know what frustrates me the most with that? Mm-hmm that the most most word that you find in combination with Azure Synapse Analytics is proof of concept. Exactly. Ooh. There are so many proofs of proofs of con uh, concept. <laughs> Can't even use the word. <laughs> but I I have yet to find some proper running production workloads in Synapse. Um, mm -hmm. So many promises, so many amazing ideas that just do not work all the way when you start to push the buttons, mm -hmm. uh, which I find to be so frustrating. I would love nothing more than just synapse all the things. But when push comes to shove, it takes some serious... I, I, I understand why it is so important to do proof of, proof of concepts because it may actually crap out on you. So... <laughs> Yeah, that is one aspect of it, definitely. Mm. And then we have one more block from Alexander. Yes, or not from you, but <laughs> no. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> if, if there is one thing that I've learned through the years is that I am a terrible, terrible blog writer, and then comes people like Kurt, 
and really shows me just how terrible I am <laughs> at writing blogs because he's not. So Kurt Bueller, um, friend of the show and uh, a good friend of mine and uh, a previous mentee of mine, he has written three parts of a blog post on on data goblins, his, his site. And it's essentially designing models and reports for your future self. He brings up something that I have never seen anyone talk about previously. And it is so obvious when he does that, oh crap, this is something that we need to talk about. And I actually, uh, in, in a tweet the other day, I, or was it previous today, uh, said that this is, should be required reading to the tune of Melissa Coates and Matthew Roche because they, they they wrote the book on Power BI implementation and governance and Kurt added things to that that we didn't even know we needed. So what it is all about, it's, it's a blog post discussing how to create a sustainable data solution. And as he puts it in the very first sentence, chances are that you will not be working on the same models and reports forever. The solutions you make today will be passed on to someone else tomorrow. They would have to maintain it, support it, and change it. To do that, they need a handover of the solution, knowledge transfer from the original author. And then he walks through what to consider. And it's not just you might want to consider this. Oh, no. It's a couple of hundred meters of text with checklists and God knows what. This is amazing. I cannot overstate just how good this is. So anybody who's working with Power BI governance and, and well, any any kind of, of development in Power BI should definitely read this because it is chock full of really, really smart tips for everyone. And I think I've broken just about every of his tips whenever I do uh, reports myself. <laughs> so but, yeah, that, that's can, pretty much what I have. But isn't that something that we should learn in all projects, regardless, like, if it's Power BI or development or anything else that if you are very proud of something you have done that you felt were very complicated, chances are that someone also will feel that it's complicated. And it's much harder when you're not inside of the brain who actually thought out this complicated thing in the first place. So documentation, make it understandable. Not, not only for somebody else. I mean, I can speak for myself. Um, more times than I can count, I've come back to something after a year and went, how the hell did I come up with this? What was my, th how does it even work? And then you find <laughs> your own source code that says, look closely now. And you know that you're up shit break without a paddle. So no, it's, it's a very, very good point, uh, Simon. Thank you for making it because it is, I mean, everybody derides uh, documentation, right? It's boring. <laughs> it's something that we don't want to oh shiny and then we're off to the next funny Aww. thing but yes it is imperative and i'm terrible at it i i wish that i would was better kurt is not terrible he is in fact terribly good at it so i just wish that more people could be be like kurt you, you definitely should be like kurt that could even be the name of this episode be more like kurt yeah i think yeah. it needs to be called be more like Kurt. Yeah. Yes. Because, because I just looked at, because you're not, or first, when you said that you're terrible at blogging, I was like, no, you're not that terrible. And then I looked at his blog, <laughs> and yeah. Compared to I mean? that. Yes. See yeah. what I mean? Compared yes. to, was to Kurt, uh, RC0 <laughs> is not such a bad idea. <laughs> True. <laughs> Uh, so I will actually read it as well. Uh, I 
don't work with Power BI, but I'm really interested in, in learning about how I can improve in making things. Since I'm usually the one that do the POCs and the architecture and all of that, it's even more important than someone understands how I thought when I was designing something. And speaking about that, it's time for me. And the continuation of the Working From Anywhere series in the focus segments. <laughs> if anyone would have seen what just happened in the recording, uh, Alexander just thought, how bad can this become? It's not bad, it's actually important. So today, we the last time uh, I was responsible for this, we talked about connectivity. And now we have moved on to equipment and location when it comes to working from anywhere. And we will define this working from anywhere soon because to me it's a huge difference in working from home or working from somewhere else because as we have spoken about a couple of times my home environment i have everything that anyone could possibly want except tea probably i have coffee and a little tea. more yes yeah, I, 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 I agree with both of your statements there. <laughs> so working from home is relatively easy. We, we will touch on it and talk a little bit about it. Uh, and I wouldn't say that my home environment nor Alexander's should be considered as a base, <laughs> more like a space X of working from home, probably. Anything worth uh, doing is worth overdoing. Yeah, kind of. So today we'll talk about the equipment, the tooling, and the culture that we use and that we also expect from others when we're working from somewhere other than an office and, of course, in an office as well, and if it differs when working from an office or home or somewhere else. And uh, I, I will start with myself. To be working from anywhere... Audio is always key. That's the same thing for, for this podcast. It's always been key. And I listened to a fantastic podcast content-wise going to my customer this morning. And it's obviously recorded in Teams. And it was horrific. Like, I needed to crank up the volume and it, it was hard to even understand what they were talking about, even if the topic were good. So in a meeting, audio is absolute key especially microphones, since I usually talk a lot in meetings and listen less. Uh, that's that's what I do for a living, basically. So a great talk, headset. Talk, not listen? Kind yeah, of. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> does. I also try to find the best possible lighting in the room. I rarely do bring any additions, like any extra lamps and so on. I will probably start to do that. But at this point, I'm not. So therefore, I'm trying to sit so I have a window in front of me or at least not have lamps that are turned towards the camera. Because again, the camera we have in our laptops or somewhere else is reasonably good if we have proper lighting conditions. And then for me to be productive, I need a good mouse regardless of where I am. So I usually bring a wireless mouse as well. And, of course, a USB cable for tethering so I have my secure connection wherever I go. And, and this is, of course, to ensure a good connection, a good video quality, and a good audio quality. Because that's what I expect from myself. 
and to some extent expect from the ones that are in the meeting as well that are presenting something. It doesn't have to be super expensive. Again, you can find a window to use to light you up. But please have a proper headset. I do not consider AirPods to be a good headset. You need to have something. I prefer boom microphones, but something that's made for the collaboration platform that you use. And also ensure that when you're presenting, we'll go into the tools soon, that you know your tooling and have the appropriate peripherals to make it work. I've tried to use whiteboard, which we'll talk about later, and using my fingers to draw. It doesn't work. And I'm terrible even with a pen. Drawing with my finger isn't making it better. So when it comes to your equipment, when you're working from somewhere other than home, what is essential to you? I I am probably, yeah, I'm probably (laughs) the other extreme from this bunch. (laughs) (laughs) Like, before I joined this podcast, I really did not care about sound that much. Like, And you think you do now? No, I don't care. I just happen to have a good mic now. (laughs) Well, it it was forced on you. It was forced on me, exactly. But, well, I happen to have a laptop that has an okay mic so that it's not, like, bothering. So I oftentimes just use that if I'm on the move. I don't carry around a lot of equipment. Uh, I've found good headsets really hard to find. So actually, I oftentimes... Uh, don't have a headset, but actually use the good microphone on my laptop and just find a silent space. And if I do have to, I then use a headset uh, if if that, that is necessary. But I oftentimes somehow have issues with those microphones. And yeah, maybe I should there actually get some hints on where to find a good headset. But anyways, so I, <laughs> I mainly go with just my laptop the microphone there, uh, the camera there, and I'm good to co- go. Um, I'm also a person that will work for a day anywhere without any extra screens or anything. I'll, like, I'll be fine. I'll just <laughs> sit somewhere in the corner and be scrunched <laughs> over my laptop and uh, go away with my Terraform code. <laughs> like, for a day, that is fine. But of course, I would prefer like to have an extra screen and things like that. But I'm very like I'm content with very little a keyboard a mouse an extra screen and I am good to go and a space where I can do my meetings mm-hmm. and, and, and actually much- the, yeah the, the, actually the one thing that I have with me always is my surface pen yeah and that is what I use with the whiteboard so that is kind mm-hmm. of my I'm all, always holding on to that how much of your time would you say is spent in meetings talking to customers compared to uh, banging out code? It varies uh, like a lot. So it could be 100% to either end and anything in mm. between. So Okay. Um, I find this an interesting uh, topic. Um, and the funny thing is that I, I, I hadn't thought of what kind of equipment that I bring with me. Um, but doing so, I realized that I always bring a, a headset. Mm-hmm. That, that's, 
I, I could not uh, not have a headset. Haynes Computer's microphone is frustratingly good. <laughs> it has no business being anywhere near as good as it is, uh, which was, again, frustrating when we started the podcast. Uh, mine, not so much. So I wouldn't even dream of not using a, a headset. Uh, but then I, when, when it comes to um, um, cameras and stuff, I just use whatever's inside of that thing. I don't enjoy working from somewhere else if I need to interact with people. Mm -hmm. If I need to interact with people and do a meeting, I much prefer working from home or somewhere where I can control the environment in a whole different way. I, I don't subscribe to the idea of going to a, a coffee shop to work and do meetings. That's not for me. Uh, to produce code or, or something like that, yeah, fine. That, that's, that's, that works. But to, to interact with people, I find it... Um, disrespectful. Disrespectful, thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Uh, to be at a, a busy cafe, for instance, because it's it's going to make a lot of noise for the other people on, on the line. Yeah, and we'll get back to that, actually, when we talk about the culture. But once we, since we're talking about technology, we have all mentioned that we use whiteboard and pens. I, I do think Microsoft Whiteboard is a brilliant tool. Uh, I use it sometimes in Teams and sometimes just as a separate app and share that but I use it. Uh, and honestly, even if I'm a terrible writer and an even more terrible drawer, it gets the, like it. Yes, Simon, it, you're it a horrible drawer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say that? You're an even I'm worse not... cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I can carry a lot of things. So what do you say then? Sorry. <laughs> What what is the because it's it's not painter? No, I think oh. artist is probably the best word. Yeah. Uh, oh, artist. It doesn't. That... It doesn't really. You're a terrible artist as well, but it doesn't really but, yeah. encompass drawing. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. So anyways, terrible at drawing. That could be one. Thank way you. To put it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Together, we are brilliant at speaking English. Barely. <laughs> we're. Yeah, we're like. Uh, I can't remember we're what English Mathe Shatte Shatte is in uh, in Swedish. I, I can remember that Knattefnatt Schatte is something really cool in Finnish, but let's move away from that. Uh, tooling. Apart from whiteboard, I use PowerPoint. You can use PowerPoint in many creative ways. And Zoomit. Please use Zoomit, because if you share your screen and it's a high-end screen, anyone or no one can see anything. So please use Zoomit more in meetings, and, and use it extensively. Like if you're sharing a whiteboard, if you're sharing text, if you're sharing a demo, whatever, Zoom with something. Because it is or can be very hard to see what you're sharing. And people are, in general, not too comfortable in saying, could you please Zoom a little bit? Uh, not everyone I, is as comfortable with bad eyesight as we are. Can I, can I, I ask you a question there? Mm -hmm. Where do people learn about Zoomit. Uh, I find Nowhere. that there's That's so the problem. many, so, yeah, so many people don't even know it exists and mm -hmm. even fewer people know that it is, uh, it's, it's possible to ask for someone to Zoom. Yeah. Uh, we've spent, what is it, two, three years in a pandemic and still 
we just expect people to understand how to use the tools. Yeah. So we need a Sumit course. I can think of a few people that actually would be brilliant at teaching one of those. I would be interested. Yeah. So mm -hmm. other than PowerPoint, Whiteboard, Sumit, do you have any other tools that you tend to use? OBS. OBS. Even yes. when you're working from somewhere else than home. I might because mm -hmm. it makes it so much easier to switch between multiple windows. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I need to share things through Teams, and that is a pain in the posterior. But having said that, in order to use OBS efficiently, I need to use some kind of button solution like yeah. uh, a Stream Deck. Uh, and that is rare for me to bring on the road. But I could definitely see where a small, what is it, six-button version yeah. of the, the Stream Deck could be definitely useful not only on the road, but also as a speaker. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I've, I've, I've been toying with because it's kind of the same thing. Um, yeah. Then again... A wire, in, yeah, a, a wireless six-button Stream Deck. That yeah. would be cool. The thing is, you can use your phone. Uh, there, yeah. There's a Stream Deck app to do exactly that. But mm -hmm. as Haney found out the hard way, OBS is not a kind tool to most nope. uh, laptops. Yes, I'm not using OBS. <laughs> no. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but you, you draw a lot, Haney, when, when you do presentations and so on. And I assume yeah. you do that in customer meetings as well. Do you yeah. use Whiteboard or do you have other apps? I use whiteboard and then when I'm speaking, I'm actually drawing directly on PowerPoint. Yeah. And then PowerPoint handles all the animations nicely. So I don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually, that brings me to like my extra equipment that I might bring with me because if mm -hmm. I know I need to be, you know, I'm on the move and I know I need to prepare something for my presentation or think that maybe I have to adjust something, uh, then I might have my drawing board with me. Yeah, because it is easier to use than the laptop. Even though, like, mm -hmm. I can draw directly on my laptop, but it's not going to be as pretty. Mm -hmm. So I often do have that with me, and I've actually done presentations so that I use that as my second screen, because nice. I have occasionally been in places where there is like no way to get a proper place to actually have a second screen, etc. Mm -hmm. So. That might be just me that I happen to like go around <laughs> to random nope. places and do sessions <laughs> from random places. But yeah, it's kind of convenient because it's uh, concise. What's the word? Compact. That's the word. It, yeah, yeah it, it's it's compact. And when it comes compact. to doing doing sessions from strange places, Nico Jacobs, I think it was two years ago when the fire alarm went off when he was doing his pre-con. So he did uh, most of his pre-con from the backseat of his car. Yeah. Why not? That works. Like a boss. It works. Yeah. Haven't done that yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like tooling aside, and I think you need to think that through. If you're working, if you re like, if you require that you are allowed to work from anywhere, do ensure that you can do that with the same quality. Because as a manager, I would be absolutely fine if you work from anywhere, as long as you do it with the quality you would get in the ideal situation. Offices can sometimes be far from ideal. 
like we probably in most of us have better setups at home than we have at an office i think that will change but i wouldn't wouldn't accept a bad quality uh over a period of time i fully understand if the fire alarm goes off or if you have to do a meeting in the car or whatever it can be but be considerate of that and when when i go anywhere and do presentations meeting and so on i always think of who else can hear me who else can see my screen and and think of that especially when i'm talking about more sensitive topics and i might even say no i can't do this meeting here and now sorry i'm delayed the train is delayed we will postpone this meeting because i can't do this confident that no one else will hear or see I also, like you said, Alexander, try to keep the background as clean as I can. If I am in a coffee shop, which I have been from time to time, I try to sit with my back against the wall um, and also ensure to have it as quiet as possible. Most of my headsets are good at taking other sounds away, so that's rarely a problem. But I also, one thing that I do think of is to be more careful with irony, sarcasm, jokes when i do online meetings because sometimes it really doesn't work you don't know if people are looking the other way so i try to be more careful with that than if i were in a physical location but i think that's something you need to work through with your team so the takeaways from this is first invest in your kit or your employer should invest in your working from anywhere kit or working from home environment um, and do not work from other places. If you don't, if you can't create a good environment, do postpone. It's not worth the time to spend uh, a meeting that's less than optimal. Find the tools you like to use and practice with them. Zoom it, PowerPoint, whiteboard, whatever it might be. Uh, and ensure that if you work in a team, that it works for everyone and that it's also inclusive because not everyone will be able to see uh, something on a whiteboard or whatever it can be and third like with everything else have rules have some values that you and your team will upheld um, and think of the meeting experience and the topic that you will present is this place suitable for this topic and the timing when you do this then you have a much better working from anywhere situation end of episode two and I, I think it's what you just said about having rules. I think that mm -hmm. is very important. It, it It's sort of kind of become lost in this work from anywhere. Uh, yep. Somewhere someone decided I have a right to work from anywhere. And that's a dangerous discussion mm -hmm. in and of itself. But as a manager, you not only have the ability you also in my view as you said should put down a foot these are the minimum requirements yep. for you to produce content or to be part of meetings and so on and then when we've established those work towards a solution how can we make sure that we have this minimum uh, level yeah uh, and that is not necessarily something for the the employee that is not necessarily something for the the manager but let's solve the problem together but first let's define a minimum uh, yeah uh, level so very interesting conversation in, in itself. So, um, as always, we're starting to run out of time and the both of you are, are definitely running out of time because, <laughs> yeah, uh, running in, in, in a, um, 
a com conference is hard and going on vacation is even harder. Way <laughs> harder. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so much happening. Um, I looked at my calendar and September is by far the busiest mm -hmm. month. Um, so in this week, Haney and I are going to Scotland, uh, to, to Glasgow. Ooh, ooh. That's going to be so much fun, mm -hmm. especially since Simon is not going to be in, in Glasgow, since Simon hates Scotland. We know that. <laughs> yeah, we do. Simon. But I'm in Amsterdam, so. Well, how about the Dutch um, uh, whiskey? It's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, it's they, they have some really, really good distilleries, so... Uh, Sorry about that, but I the whiskey is actually really that. good in the Netherlands. <laughs> mm, I'm sure. So then we have so many things, like the AVD tech. I don't think we have time to go through all these no. things. We'll add them. Like, um, you have different... You can meet us at so many places. In yep. person, mm -hmm. virtually. Check out our site. Follow us on show, social media. And always feel free to reach out. Like, we are... Yeah. I'm going to add something to our, our site. I'm going to add a, a list of events. Yeah. So people can know where to find us and know how to avoid us should they decide to do so. <laughs> uh, I think that's an important aspect of it as well. We like to yeah. please our audiences however mm -hmm. they like to be pleased. Um, any final words? Haynes, you're, you're going to be on vacation for quite some time, so you will not be joining us on the next episode. No, I will be somewhere in Portugal. And nice. I, I find it appalling, considering this episode's content, that you were not going to be traveling with your microphone and your computer <laughs> and your drawing board and stuff. No, I'm not. I'm not going to bring my microphone. <laughs> So Haney is not bringing her microphone on her vacation. I am highly offended. Just shaking yeah. her head. <laughs> Stop it now, because we all may, almost are on time. So if you edit this properly, we will be on time. For <laughs> yeah. the first time, ever. Ever. It was amazing as always. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Need in Tech. Need in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needinventech.com. <laughs>